0: The formerly lame man and his disciples had gone to church together, okay, into the temple. And now they were coming out and making their way to their Christian's afternoon Bible study. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Everybody had noticed the ex-lame man going to church, in church, leaving church. Everybody's whispering about him. And Peter and John, what's happening here? Why is he with them? How in the world did he get healed? So when church lets out, The temple service is over. They all follow these guys to Solomon's portico. Portico. In the old translations, they called it Solomon's porch. (laughs) Never seemed like much to me. Where I'm from, it's not much. But it was actually an expansive area. So I've found some images that will give you an idea of what it might have looked like. This, next one there, that's probably... An excellent representation of the view when one would first come out of the temple proper. The temple grounds, that's all part of the temple grounds. It's expansive, it's huge. Here's what you might see as you walked a little closer. Here's another view. This one's like if you're inside there. Now looking back, and that building in the back would be the temple proper, where they actually did the priestly work. Would have looked something like this. So, why did they go here to Solomon's Portico? Why did everybody go there? <laughs> in our beautiful computer-generated images, see those puffy, beautiful clouds in the sky they have there? It just looks like a nice summer's day in the Northwest. Uh, no. <laughs> it's the Middle East. It's about four in the afternoon in the summertime. The sun would be burning down on you. So the marble columns and the paving stones would have made it invitingly cool in Solomon's portico. Here's a fun fact for today. <laughs> it was called Solomon's portico because many believed this section had been built by Solomon a thousand years earlier. But unlike the temple proper that he had built, it was not destroyed by the Babylonians when they hauled off the people 500 years before our formerly lame man clung to Peter and John. For sure, we do know this was a very old structure and used extensively by various teachers, including Jesus, by the way. Well, Back to our scripture. So hundreds of people, maybe a few thousand, have followed the ex-lame man, the disciples, and all the believers in Jesus. So lesson number one, go where the people are. <laughs> Thousands were at the temple, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. I do love this guy. Peter, now, ever ready to speak on his favorite subject. And it reminds me of a D.H. Lawrence quote, Be still when you have nothing to say. When genuine passion moves you, say what you've got to say and say it hot. (laughs) Don't you like that one? Do we have passion for our eternal life? Then we need to be aware, like Peter and John, and ready to say it hot. What do we say? <laughs> what kinds of things do we say? You know, What are the subjects we should cover? How should we talk about these things? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. Peter, in this, his second recorded sermon, gives us some good examples. He finds common ground to start the discussion. He always has God on his lips. He tells it to them straight. He references the Bible and he shows them hope. So let's... Read little Peter's little sermon, and then we'll take it apart. <laughs> Ready? Oh, wait, one more thing. One more tidbit. The, man, the men and the women thing. You know, you've got to work within your culture. Men were only allowed to address men in public in that culture. That was it. it was, nothing else was allowed, and so that's what Peter does. Okay, here we go. Men of Israel. Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith, that is through Jesus, has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. Especially that short part. I mean, he's already done. <laughs> but actually, it may have been a much longer sermon. Probably was. This part Luke recorded is likely a summary. Which means I get to keep talking. <laughs> we want to look at the individual parts. But before we get there, I'd like you to note Peter's two main sections. First, he tells them the truth. In verses 12 to 16. And it's often called straight exhortation. Straight truth. Then he asked them to do something about it, a call to action, verses 17 all the way to 26. Okay, one more side trip, and I'll, I'll try not to do more. In case you don't know, the original Bible text had no chapters and verses, as, as we know them. You're supposed to read the whole thing, like the book of Acts, from beginning to end in one sitting. It's not so hard when you think about it. It'd certainly take less time than most of the movies we watch, frankly. But there are advantages to having these divisions. More than a thousand years after the New Testament was written, a man named Stephen Langton divided the Bible into chapters. He was a professor. And this was an easier way to get his students to the section he wanted to talk about. Go to chapter three. How they were in the right area. About three centuries after that, a printer named Robert Stephanus, it would be Stevens for us Americans, divided the chapters into verses well the New Testament at first and then he did the old later which has made it very easy to get to a specific spot in the text just give the address and you got it boom you're right there the problem is these numbers and divisions are not a part of the text and it's definitely not wise to read one verse alone always consider what's around it and indeed in the whole book and and as well as the whole Bible Okay, back again a call to action. When we talk about God, we need to do so with a purpose. Have a purpose. We should never say His name in vain. If you don't have a purpose, that's what you're doing. We should never do that. Even, even though everyone else does, <laughs> we shouldn't do that. And there's, there's a point to all this, and it's the most important point they will ever consider. No human being can consider any point more important. So think about it. If we're right, everyone lives or dies forever. Not 60 or 80 or even 120 years forever. Which is considerably longer than only one life to live, so live it with gusto. Right? What we have to say is very important. And we need to drive them to a decision. Make a call to action. Dr. Mark Wagner. He's one of my seminary profs. He liked to say about sermon preparation; it it drove him crazy because people had sermons that they didn't go anywhere. They just kind of... So he said, "Know where you're going, and then land the plane." (laughs) Actually, get there, okay? (laughs) Don't just mention Jesus. Let them know they need to do something about it, about Him. So, how did Peter talk with them so that they would do something about it? So let's go through our list. First, he found common ground in their culture. Peter said things like men of Israel and brothers. This was normal speech for them and in their culture. Unless you're a missionary, culture is not usually an issue. We just need to avoid that churchy talk, you know. You need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm sorry, that's a really gross metaphor. I mean, unless you know the Christian story and the song that goes with that, we get the warm fuzzies when we hear that. But other people don't. So just speak naturally, okay? In a way they'll understand. There is one cultural thing that we in America used to share with those ancient Jews, the knowledge of a Savior God. When our country was started, everyone knew that salvation was looking back to Jesus. They, those people, the Jews, before Jesus, knew that salvation was looking forward to the Christ. In our collective heads, early America, just as it was in those Jews, that was the case. We understood there was a salvation, there was a God of salvation. And Peter's job was to get it from their head, their understanding of that possibility, into their heart, what really was. And that's how it used to be here. But now we, we have to go back and lay the groundwork. And we have to use history. Uh, Peter referenced their common history. Uh, Use the common history that that you share with the person you're speaking with. Speak of our corporate history, like our many deeply devoted Christian founders and presidents, uh, Washington, Adams, Lincoln, many others. They all extensively quoted the Bible, if you don't know that. But also use personal history. Uh, You know your past and how God's helped you, right? So use that history. You probably know some of their history and how God could help them. <laughs> Maybe? Use that. Uh, but you may have to lay out the basic history of God's redemptive work as well, and it works like this: God created everything, all the things that are in a perfect state. He gave that to man. No surprise, men messed it up. Okay. Uh, we call that the fall. The beginning of sin. But God would not leave man in his own mess. He became a man himself. He sent his son. Jesus came in order to suffer the fate that we deserve in our place and for us. Even though he was perfect, and we have but to accept our need, believe Jesus can save us, and commit our lives to him. ABC. That's the basic history. When you do speak of Christ, use familiar names and places. Peter mentioned Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Samuel in that short talk, all of those. All examples of God's grace that were well known to every Jew. That's what he was talking to. And as we said, we can mention George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, but also Isaac Newton. The greatest scientific mind that ever lived. Isaac Newton. You can mention him. He was a firm believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, Martin Luther, of course, C.S. Lewis, uh, Billy Graham, you know, you, you, other names that you will know. I, do be careful with celebrities. <laughs> Unfortunately, some of them say they're Christians and then talk about how they're reincarnated. So you got to be kind of careful. But you might be able to do things like if they're into music, there are tons of people that you can mention. I don't know these people, but I did a quick look on there. Carrie Underwood claims. Jesus Christ, Faith Hill, even Nick Jonas. I don't know much about the guy, but even he claims to be a Christian. Uh, now, if, if you're talking to somebody older, Johnny Cash. <laughs> Tennessee Ernie Ford, you know, you got, those names work really good. Do they love sports? Tim Tebow, pretty obviously a Christian. Benjamin Watson, Edgar Martinez, if you're into baseball. Most people don't realize because he's quiet about his faith, but boy, that guy has a faith. Uh, gymnast Gabby Douglas, she was real famous for a while, or still is somewhat, and some people might know her. Tamika Catchings, name I've heard of, and I'm thinking, how do I know that name? You know, those kind of things. But there are lots of people out there who believe in Jesus Christ and, and are willing to talk about their faith. But you're getting the idea, you find out their interests, probably already know, and then find someone who shares their interests, who shares our faith. Google's great. Just put the name, put you know, gymnast, Christian. All sorts of people. It's just great. You can find out. Then you can say, hey, do you know that person? Yeah, did you know they're a believer? What do you mean believer? Oh yeah, sorry. useful used a little Christianese there. Oops, I just did. Oh, they believe that Jesus Christ is, is the Son of God. It works. People are amazed by it. Anyway. And don't forget, there may be someone in their own family or friends group. I, actually, there's a, it's almost always true. It's extremely rare that someone does not have Uh, an obvious Christian in their family or friend group. Or maybe you just say to them, don't you know any other Christians besides me? (laughs) Am I the only one? And then you say, well, no. You know, my brother or you know, something like that. As Peter spoke, he used a specific story form. One that they were used to. It fit in their culture. He told the story like they like it. So make it a story. Hey, it's the greatest story ever told, right? And it's true. So don't just tell them the facts. Tell them the story. Obviously, the story of Jesus. uh, The story of how he changed someone you both know or have heard of. uh, And the story of how he entered your life. Peter used words and phrases that were comfortable with them. How about this mouth of all the prophets, (laughs) times of refreshing. Sons of the prophets. Yet yeah, those are not words that just roll off the tongue of every the average American every day. Okay, uh, we should use words and phrases they understand. Hey, if you don't give your life to Jesus, you will only have one life to live. <laughs> uh, when it comes to giving your heart to Jesus, just do it. <laughs> I like that. Jesus said he would make his followers fishers of men. Hey, wait, that one actually works. Just comes straight across. Uh, we we'll work here in Westport, so some parts of our cultures are the same. Then the next thing that we can copy Peter in is to have God always on our lips. Uh, he said things like holy and righteous ones. That means the perfect and good God to a Jew. That's what that phrase means. His name by faith in his name referring to Jesus. Everybody knew what he was doing. He mentioned heaven, which to a Jew, all of them knew that meant the abode of God. So they, they were right in line with him. So, And note, by the way, that both the Father and the Son are mentioned. And in his first sermon, he even mentioned also the Holy Spirit. So he gets them all in there. Talk openly about God. Most of the people that that we run into, they'll acknowledge the existence of a God. Maybe not a God who created all things like we understand, but they do believe there must be some sort of higher power. So usually you can openly say that they won't understand, but they'll be in the catch up. And and maybe use that assumption clause you know, that we talked about last. Just assume the true God. Just talk about the true God. Just. It's one in nature, three in person. Just just talk about him. Uh, Easy. And always, always, always give glory to God and never claim glory for yourself. If the Apostle Peter, who, by the way, just healed a lame man, gave all the glory to God, yeah, maybe we can too, right? (laughs) Because it's never about us, right? Notice that the only time Peter talks about himself was when he said, it's not me, it's God. That's it. It's the only time he mentions himself. Good plan. We need to make sure people know it's not us. We're we're really not that great. (laughs) You know, be nice, but we're really not. In fact, we're all sinners just like them. But we're saved by grace, and and that's really about the only difference. It's really all about God. I like it when someone says, "You're no better than I am." That's right. That's exactly (laughs) right. You got it. You're right. And yet God loves us, you and me both, so much that he sent his son to die. And if we believe, he'll give us eternal life. What a great way to walk into it. And that brings up another point. It's kind of a side issue, but not completely. Don't dump all your theology on them at once. And and okay, you're saying me, theology? Are you kidding? (laughs) But you know more than you know. You do. You do. And chances are you know way more than they do. (laughs) But don't dump it on them all at once. Uh, Notice that Peter, in verse 18, he assumes the Trinity, but he doesn't actually say it. He just talks about Jesus as God. Well, they they weren't that far yet. (laughs) But he just says it. Just assumes it. Uh, So keep it simple like that. Just admit, believe, commit. That's all all that really matters here at the front. Uh, If they want to know more, they'll let you know. They'll either say, wait a minute. Or, you know, they'll ask. And then you call me. (laughs) Sometimes that has to happen. But while you're speaking to them, speak the unvarnished truth. Say who they are and what they've done. Peter said to those Jews, you delivered over and denied Jesus in the presence of Pilate. He said, you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. He even said, you killed the author of life. Those are some pretty piercing statements. And, and now we should be aware. These are first century Jews. They're used to this really strong talk. That's that's what they're used to. And it might be a little too straightforward for many people today, but maybe not, because let's face it, it is the truth. <laughs> and if if you love them, you need to be clear about their fate. Clear about their responsibility. Peter told them, repent therefore and turn again. Tell them this truth. Everybody must leave their sins, their past life, and turn and follow Jesus. That's what you got to do. So ask for that decision. Ask, say, that's what you need to do. Sorry. That's it. So, in other words, make the offer. If you don't offer it, they can't say, okay. I do know one pastor. I'm getting off the notes, but I'll, I'll be short. He said he was talking to this guy, talking to this guy, talking to this guy. And the guy finally said to him, are you going to ask me if I want to be a Christian or not? (laughs) And he said, "Uh, yeah, do you? He said, yes, man. (laughs) He was ready to go and the pastor didn't think he was. He didn't ask. Make the offer. It's actually the most loving thing we can do, even though it's, I don't know about you, but it's about the hardest thing there is to do. It's just really hard. Here's a big one. Feel free to quote the Bible. I used to not think this. But it's true. Do you know why people rail so strongly against the book, Uncle Tom's Cabin? I don't know about you, but I got told in school it's a nasty thing. It's a book about this just me little guy that is Uncle Tom, he's just, he's just You don't want to read it. What? No. The, the reason they good they that about Uncle Tom's Cabin is pure Christianity with tons of scripture quotes. Tons, all the way through the book. And Uncle Tom a dedicated, down to earth, dynamic Christian is the hero of the book. Almost nobody that's, when people have read it, nobody knows that. It's true. He's the hero. He's a hero who is a Christian, a hero, hero who is a black man, a hero who is a slave, and a hero who gives himself away for others. A hero who knows his scripture and quotes it extensively, who lives it extensively. That's Uncle Tom. Until you've read the book, You have no idea that's what it is. It's amazing. It's really an amazing book. If you haven't read it, oh, read that book. Next to the Bible, that's the best book I've ever read. It's absolutely an amazing book. Anyway, Peter quoted the Scriptures directly three times in that little talk. Three times. He quoted it directly and he alluded to it a bunch of times. Continuously, actually. And now you might say, wait a minute. The people I talk to don't believe the Bible's true. (laughs) And why should they? They're not Christians yet. And that's all true. And the Jews Peter was talking to, yeah, they did live and breathe the Scriptures. It's part of their culture. So we have a significant difference to deal with. But there's two things to consider. First, your trust in the Scriptures will be evident when you quote it. The Bible says they're going to get it. And they'll understand that you believe the Bible is God's word to us. And if you have a relationship with them, they do trust you to some extent, right? And also, if God is drawing them, then they'll want to know. (laughs) They'll want to know why you trust His Word. And maybe, just maybe, they'll start to read it. We've talked about this before. Some of the greatest Christian evangelists and apologists started reading the Bible to show that it was false. And ended up becoming Christians. You never read about Charles Finney? You should. Amazing. He's a lawyer who is going to absolutely prove the Bible was untrue, and he becomes a believer and becomes one of the greatest evangelists our country's ever had. <laughs> Josh McDowell is he's alive today. He still talks about Christ. He did the same thing. Also a lawyer, going to prove the Bible was wrong. Ended up reading it, becoming a believer. The writer of Ben Hur. Maybe you can tie people in with this. He was encouraged to write that book by an ardent anti-Christian for the purpose of showing the Bible was untrue. He was going to have him do it. So that's how he did started to write it. And unfortunately for the antagonist, the more he studied the Bible, the more he became convinced it was actually true. And finally, Lou Wallace became a believer in Jesus Christ. And here's that second point about quoting Scripture. If God is drawing them, then he will cause a hunger for truth, for his word in them. They'll want to hear it. Uh, In fact... That may be a good way to tell if God is drawing them. I mean, what's their response to Scripture? If it's a deep longing or a strong rejection, then God is probably drawing them. You know, if it's the first, you just keep talking about the Bible, pretty easy. The second, well, okay. And you're thinking if they strongly reject Scripture, you think God is calling them. I know you're wondering about me here. It's it's a tough one because some people really are just viciously anti-Christian and they'll be very mean-spirited when you talk to them. But sometimes God draws them by showing them how mean they get without any good reason. Why do I care what someone else believes if everything means nothing? Why was I so mean? They might actually ask. So it might be that God is drawing them by making them see the truth that they need help to be a reasonable person they need to accept. (laughs) that they are sinners, which they can't do on their own. Which means, when we face a very strong objection to Scripture, maybe maybe we just back off (laughs) and wait a bit and let God do His work. Just be aware, they may be almost ready. And this brings us to what I think is the most important thing we can learn from Peter's talk. In all this, show them hope. Show them God's promise. Peter said those Jews acted in ignorance. Now their ignorance was in not knowing who Jesus was. They knew what they were doing was wrong. Okay, Uh, Just not the full gravity of what they did. People know they're sinning. They know. They just don't know the devastation that they are creating. So, once again, although we tell it to them straight, as John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We don't forget the promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Peter told the Jews if they confessed their sins, times of refreshing would come. Now, that's Jewish speak for... All the good things that will happen at the coming of the Messiah. That's what that means. Now, Peter clarified to them that it really refers to the return of Christ until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So he's talking about the future, which is still future to us. Peter is saying that times of refreshing will come when the Jewish nation in mass turns to Christ. There will be a time when that will happen. But in the meantime, God having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Those early Jews got the first shot at becoming Christians. And we also know that each person feels that future in their hearts when they give their lives to Jesus. So let them know that future hope can live in their hearts today. Just like it did for those Jewish people who were directly responsible for his death. Just like that hope has lived in the hearts of every believer down through the ages. Just like that hope lives in your heart. Peter was clear of their sin. One, they denied Jesus in spite of opposition from Pilate. Two, they chose a murderer rather than Jesus. Three, they killed the author of life. But, God the Father raised Jesus to life and Peter was careful to be clear about what that made possible if they repented their sins would be blotted out blotted out times of refreshing would come the Messiah himself would come we need to make it clear to people you are thoroughly guilty if it was not for the Holy Spirit restraining you you'd be worse than Hitler Stalin, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot all put together You, We we all deserve an eternity in hell. That's what we deserve. We all deserve death forever. But, if we turn to Christ, all that real guilt we have, he is faithful and just to forgive. Because of the work of Jesus. Because of the work of Jesus, we can live forever. He will clean us from all our guilt. Think about that for a moment. He will clean us from all our guilt. All our unrighteousness. He will give us eternal life, a life of perfection and joy. We cannot even imagine now. How do we wrap this all up? God will create circumstances that will draw people to him. But, curiously, he will use us to tell them about him. His love for them, the hope they can have in him, we get to be the ones to bring this knowledge to them. To get it into their heads. And, then we get to watch God move it to their hearts. We get to watch God reach their heart. Most people know that John Newton was a slave trader but what you may not know is that before that he was in the British Navy he was conscripted into the Navy but he was so much trouble that they actually flogged him people died from that they didn't do it very often but that's how bad he was finally they couldn't control him and he talked them into letting him go onto a trading vessel the Pegasus who was a slave trader And even there, he was so much trouble, his captain gave him to his wife, his African wife, lots of problems, an African duchess, as a slave. John Newton was a slave in Africa. And he was so much trouble, even as a slave, that he was abused and beaten by her. But sometime after he was rescued, this scoundrel, this lowest of the low, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. He had a personal relationship with the living hope. And you know his most famous song, Amazing Grace. But there's a beautiful poem he wrote that I had never heard until I did the original research for this sermon. So listen to the heart of one that God did reach. Maybe his heart was like yours, or maybe like someone you love. Alas, I knew not what I did. But now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid? For I, my Lord, have slain. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom shed. I die that thou mayest live. Thus, well his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace. It seals my pardon, too. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit now is filled, that I should such a life destroy, yet live through him I killed. That I should such a life destroy, yet live through him I killed. We are all, 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 Guilty of the death of Jesus. And yet he died for our sins. So that we could live eternally through him. This is the message that we must bring to those we love. Yes, you are guilty. More than you understand. But if you will turn to the one who died for you, you don't need to worry. For he will give you the hope of eternal life. He is good more than you understand. Find some common ground to start a conversation. Always have God on your lips. Tell it to them straight, but with compassion. Reference the Bible. Show them hope. Show them Jesus. Father, thank you for Peter's message. I don't know if he knew when he was giving it but it would ring down through the ages. People all over the world would read it and contemplate it and wonder what does it mean. I hope, Lord, today we've considered some, some things that might mean something. Maybe a way that we can tell those that are around us, the people you bring into our lives. Somehow tell them, this is important. This is really important. Matter of fact, there isn't anything more important that you ever have to consider. Because if this is true, it means everything. If it's not true, it means nothing. But if it's true, this is everything. <laughs> Help us to somehow say it hot. <laughs> say it in a way that people hear it. Help us to let them see Jesus Christ in us thank you father in jesus name we pray amen